Hey guys, welcome back to Kindled. I am your host, Haley. Well, today is the uh, last episode of this season, and I'm excited to bring to you a conversation that I got to have with David and Shirley Quine, the founders of Cornerstone Curriculum. And Cornerstone Curriculum is a company that is actually uh, pretty close to my heart since they are the creators of the curriculum that I took in high school, Worldviews of the Western World, which we will talk about in our conversation today. And I recently recently got to connect with the founders, David and Shirley, uh, just because I tagged them on Instagram. It led to this relationship where now they are also sponsoring Kindled um, because truly their uh, course, it, I've said this a few times, but it's it's not an exaggeration to say that it really has been the most influential thing in my spiritual and intellectual development other than the Bible, and other than uh, the Word of God. Uh, that course really is what shaped and formed my beliefs and my worldviews um, in high school. And I still access the information that I learned in that course every single day. And it's still so relevant. It's more relevant now, uh, even to, you know, my day to day life than it was when I took it. And uh, thankfully, I remember most of it. But uh, so keep in mind that they have a coupon code for listeners, which is uh, the code Kindled, and that gets you 5% off anything on their site. So yeah, just keep that in mind. Um, And I know this is a bit of a long episode, but this is the final episode of this season. You will not be hearing from me again until January, maybe February. We'll see how this new house situation goes. And so I feel fine about sending you into, uh, you know, that break with an extra long episode. And this topic is probably my most favorite to discuss. And you can tell that from just how easy of a time we have conversing about this topic. And um, these two are just a wealth of knowledge and wisdom. So could have talked to them all day. So you're welcome for only making it an hour and 15 minutes long of conversation. Okay, guys, uh, that is all I have for you. So here is my conversation with David and Shirley Quine. David and Shirley, thank you so much for joining me today. Privilege. It's a great privilege for us. Thank you so much. I look forward to it. So I am so excited that I'm getting the chance to talk with you guys, and I will just give listeners a little bit of um, the history of of how we kind of came to even know one another. And uh, it starts actually with with the fact that I completed your course, uh, Worldviews of the Western World, and your Starting Points curriculum in my high school years at a private Christian school that my parents started. So I took your course. I didn't know who you were. Obviously at the time I was just a high schooler, uh, but it came to be the most, and I've told you this, it came to be the most impactful thing in my, I would say, you know, um, intellectual and spiritual development other than the word of God. It has, it has really been the most impactful thing that I have spent time learning that, you know, grew me, um, and I only just connected with you recently because I found the name of the company after all these years, you know, I remembered of course the course, and I talk about it all the time on my podcast, how I took this four year, four year worldviews course that was so impactful and so critical. And I eventually was like, you know, why, why don't I find the name of that company and, you know, reach out to them and let them know that I, you know, and actually I just tagged you on Instagram, which got a conversation started, but Um, it's been such a joy to connect with you guys after all these years, even though it's really for the first time, I feel like I'm kind of meeting old friends and it's just such a privilege to get to chat with you today. 
Well, thank you. You know, it's um, you, you and I guess thousands of others like you are answers to prayer for us. Mm. Uh, as we were writing, of course, and before we were writing, as we were thinking about uh, uh, creating a cornerstone curriculum, we began to pray that uh, God would use his word through the curriculum that we write mm-hmm. to um, strengthen and encourage uh, uh, young people like yourself. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it certainly is an answer to prayer because yes, I can, I can attest to the fact that he has in my life, in my siblings' lives, in friends' lives who I'm still connected with from high school that one of my friends, Naomi, uh, was, she's living in Arizona now. She was the one that I reached out to on Instagram. We're only connected through social media today, but, um, you know, she follows me and I was like, Hey, do you remember the name of that curriculum company that we did worldviews through? And she was like, she instantly had it. She messaged me right back was like cornerstone curriculum. She's like, I've already let all my homeschool mom friends know that they're doing it with me one day. Like we both have little kids, but she was just, she was, she was prepared. She knew it. And it that's just, if that isn't a testimony to how impactful that course was to both of us and to so many others that I know, um, I don't know what is because I mean, for a 30 something year old mom of little kids to be thinking about curriculum, um, and thinking about, man, what are the things that I want to instill in my kids? I mean, if there is one thing that I hope my kids leave my, my household with, it is an understanding of worldviews. I mean, obviously salvation, but, but I can't deliver that to them. I cannot, I cannot ultimately save them. I'm not God, but I can, I can instill an understanding of worldviews. Um, and, and I plan to do that through your curriculum. So I know I sound like I'm gushing, but I'm really just so excited that we've connected and, and that I can share about what you guys are doing uh, with my audience. Thank you. So getting into our topic for today, um, I'm just curious, why did you guys start this company and why, what prompted you to um, really get into this whole area of, of study and expertise and, and really providing the materials that you do through Cornerstone? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, really started back in the early 1970s. Uh, we were working with a, a, a college Christian group that involved in discipleship at a university and many of the students would come to us and say that their faith was being challenged uh, in the classroom. And it wasn't just biology classes or religious classes. It was nearly every subject. It would be like, uh, you know, like we hear today, uh, but back then it was mostly just in the classroom, I think. And so the, the students would say, the professors are saying that all the problems of America is because of Christianity. And, and, or it would be, again, in religions classes or biology classes or humanities classes, and they would come to us and they didn't really have an explanation for themselves uh, and or also the ability to uh, then have a conversation with either the other students or with the professors about why they believed what they believed. They, I think they knew what they believed, but they didn't really know why they believed. And mm-hmm. it was during that time that... Um, I believe that God was leading uh, me to go back to school. My original degree is in geology and mathematics. And I went back to school to get a degree in curriculum design because I wanted to know how to prepare the next generation of students so that when they went into a college classroom, that they would be able to stand firm in their faith. And Mm -hmm. at that point, who had any idea that those really radical ideas that were being Mm -hmm. talked about in the classroom would become 
just the atmosphere of the 21st century America life. Wow. That's incredible. I mean, I'm, I'm just in awe because uh, you're talking about, you know, you wanted students to be able to stand firm in the college classroom. And I, I literally had a flashback to myself doing that very thing, standing firm in my religions of, uh, let's see, Eastern religions course, I believe at university of Kansas, super liberal school. Um, and, uh, I do remember my professor, I can't remember exactly the conversation, but it was something about, you know, we were studying Buddhism and Hinduism and, and, uh, religions of the Eastern world perhaps was what it was, but there was a conversation about truth emerged. And, you know, of course you can imagine where I'm going to go. He, he was kind of talking about how all these different religions had their different conceptions and ideas of what truth was. Um, and basically he was operating off this presupposition that truth was relative to the knower or the believer based on their experiences, based on their culture, their upbringing, all these things. And, um, and somehow he asked for our feedback. And I remember I raised my hand because I, I knew the answer. I knew the answer was truth isn't relative. Truth is absolute. It's not subjective. And it has to be rooted in something outside of ourselves, outside of our experiences. Um, and we can tell that it is otherwise, um, who's right, who's wrong, who decides what's moral, what, you know, what's wrong or evil. And I remember just his utter disgust looking at me and his shock that I would say something so offensive. And he, Um, he did make a snide remark and I remember students laughing, like kind of mocking me. And I was just this, you know, fresh, probably sophomore, like kind of still learning what liberal campus life was. And I remember being like, what? Like I, that's you, that's not, you know, common knowledge. That's, this is shocking to you. Like, how do you not see this? But, but it was, it was just such a testimony to the fact that what you're saying is true, that that is how, that is the air we're breathing in today, that truth is subjective, it is relative, and you will be in the minority if you say otherwise. Yes, that's really, truly sad. And um, I guess maybe 10 or 15 years ago, we had heard a, a person talk, and he was talking really about Christian students. And he said they were evangelical Christians, but only 4% held to the core convictions of Christianity, um, being there is absolute truth. Uh, the Bible is reliable and accurate and absolute on anything that it teaches and everything that it teaches. Um, uh, uh, Jesus, the deity of Christ, was another one that he talked about. Uh, salvation by faith and the resurrection. And he said only 4% of evangelical Christians were holding to all four of those beliefs. Wow. And boy, that really, um, again, motivates us to to want to help parents because we know that Christian parents uh, that breaks their heart to Mm -hmm. see their own children, you know, deviating from those very core convictions. Yeah. Yeah, it absolutely does. And I mean, I see this all the time um, in my, you know, followers or audience here on the podcast or on Instagram that, you know, parents of children that have left the house and have deconstructed their faith or, left the faith altogether or are now, you know, really welcoming in all manner of traditions and ideas and ideologies. And they're calling it 
Christianity or calling it whatever they want, some new, you know, new age, um, religion. And they're, they're just, they're so distraught. And, you know, I get people asking me to pray for my child, pray for my son, pray for my daughter who's left the faith. Like we raised them in the church. We did all these things. We brought them to Sunday school and they are just heartbroken. Like you're describing. And it, it really, it really hurts the heart of any parent to imagine that being their story. Nobody wants that who, who really does believe that we have the truth in God's word. This is not just one of many paths to God. This is the only, this is the only truth, the only way. And Jesus is obviously the, the way truth in the life. Um, and so we will get into talking about at the end of our conversation today, um, you know, your encouragement to, to how parents can, um, you know, prepare their, their children for that. But I want to go back to cornerstone curriculum. So you saw this need, uh, especially in secondary education, um, what exactly was, you know, it's interesting because obviously there is something missing in primary education and elementary school, middle school, high school. If students are ending up at the university level with like no idea what they really believe and super impressionable, very able to be swayed at that age, you know, it's like, what has, what has gone wrong to where somebody is absolutely just an open book an open slate, ready to be informed, looking for, you know what I mean? It seems like we've really failed them. So what is going wrong in your view, in the education system, in government schools, and maybe even also in private schools that, that is kind of contributing to that problem? Yeah. If I could speak to that for just a moment, I really believe that part of the issue is that children are not taught to think critically anymore. They're, they're mostly, they're mostly uh, taught through behavior modification. Um, And, and that is, is the way the curriculum is written today. Much Mm -hmm. of it is behavior modification applied to education. And therefore this becomes the way that the child reaches their conclusions um, through behavior modification, through peer dependency and peer pressure. I mean, that was an issue. It's always been an issue. It, it's, a, it's a heart issue that goes all the way back, you know, where we depend on what other people think of us more than we do and what the Lord says and what, and what his will is. But again, because children are not being taught really to think critically, logically, consistently, and biblically through a subject, then they, they become uh, easy prey, I would say. Yeah. That's mm-hmm. what I you, you know, that, that um, rings true, I, I believe. And uh, Francis Schaeffer talked about that idea and how should we then live. And he mm-hmm. said, uh, the 20th century and now the 21st century, um, education has treated students not as people, but as machines or animals um, to be conditioned. Mm -hmm. And if a person is conditioned through uh, stimulus response, behavior modification, then they've lost the capability of discernment. Mm -hmm. And if you take that and you remove the whole idea of that there is truth, then the society of people can be moved in one direction very, very easily. Mm Again, because we are being, con- we have been conditioned, we are continually being conditioned to make certain responses 
And um, typically the, the way it's done is through positive reinforcers, but we're seeing some negative reinforcers in our culture today. If you don't do this, then you're gonna have this consequence. And so, because most people went to school, a public school, a government school, mm -hmm. uh, and that was the uh, strategy, those were the strategies that were used, uh, then compliance becomes um, the normal response mm -hmm. as opposed to a person who goes, but wait a second here, but I know if this is true, then this can't be true. And right. so it, I think you're exactly right, Shirley, that, um, that uh, the ability to reason, to think things through uh, on their own has been removed from society. And it reminds me too of a professor that I worked with and he was saying uh, to me way back in, uh, I guess, 81 or 82, uh, he said, I think government schools, I think government schools actually hinder students' ability to reason. Mm -hmm. And I said, hey, Ed, I've got a whole group of kids that have never been to school. Look, we can test your, your hypothesis, your premise. And he said, you know, kids that have never been to school, is that legal? And uh, it it was kind of like barely legal, I guess, depending upon what, what uh, state you lived in. But in mm -hmm. Texas, it was totally legal. Uh, and so we tested about uh, 30 or 40 students that had never been to school. Uh, they used a variety of curriculum. So it wasn't like an isolation of, oh, only this style. So, you know, some people, I think, basically modeled their home um, after what they had learned in a public school and other people did a variety of other ways. But we found something, Haley, really something so, so substantial and significant that students that had never been in a school setting, they were learning and they were thinking and if then therefore um, reasoning strategies at nine and a half of age. And the traditional thing, if you would read in an educational psychology book, the traditional American student doesn't reach that point until about 14 years of age. And wow. it showed actually what this professor um, was saying, mm -hmm. that schools were hindering the ability to reason. And I think honestly, uh, I mean, this would be speculation of course, but if a person can't reason things through, they're subject to being controlled mm. because they can't make they can't make decisions based upon uh, the data. And uh, we're seeing that, I think, uh, rampantly across the United States today. I want to take a break from this conversation to let you know about our first sponsor of this episode, and that is Cornerstone Curriculum, the company that David and Shirley Quine founded. As a high schooler, I was fortunate enough to get to complete their complete high school curriculum, Worldviews of the Western World. In this curriculum, students begin an integrated study of literature, philosophy, government, economics, history, geography, science, and art, showing how the ideas of each era shaped society holistically. This approach is far superior to a traditional school setting where subjects are separated into individual classes. Students who complete this program will be equipped to reason and think critically on any subject, and they will be prepared to stand firm for Christ in the 21st century. I cannot wait for the day my girls are old enough to start this curriculum. I cannot recommend it enough, and I would urge you to check out their website, cornerstonecurriculum.com, and use the code KINDLED for 5% off anything you order from their site. Whether your kids are in elementary or even in the middle of high school, 
Cornerstone Curriculum has resources to help you equip them today. Uh, so definitely check out their website, cornerstonecurriculum.com. Use Kindled for 5% off. Wow. Absolutely. I mean, if everyone's mind is not just triggering with so many examples of, you know, and evidence of what you're saying that we've seen, even in the last two years, I mean, we could spend an entire podcast talking about that, but you're right. It it is, it is totally a discernment issue and a critical thinking issue. And people do not know how to think, and they don't even know that what they are used to doing is not thinking. They, they don't even realize that that's a missing ingredient. And I think many of us probably, um, you know, maybe not you, but many, many Americans perhaps underestimated how absolutely missing um, our critical thinking skills were and until, you know, uh, some kind of national crisis has happened, like, like COVID has kind of uh, provided a, an opportunity for us to all see how everybody reacts to see how everybody thinks through what they believe, what narratives they adopt and, and how long they can even be, um, you know, put into, put into, like you're saying, be controlled by a certain narrative, by a certain, uh, thing, even over and against all the facts, even against reality, even, you know, in the face of, of uh, major cognitive dissonance and inconsistencies and things that like, it doesn't make sense. Like, and so many of us are going, how do you not see, how do you, I don't understand. Or I've said this so many times, if you don't see now, you never will. If you cannot see yet, you never will. And, uh, you know, we're not going to talk about COVID today, but just as an example that like it's provided a little insight into in a really clear view of of what exactly what you're saying that critical thinking is a lost art and that people do not even realize that they're not thinking anymore they are just being or doing and could you talk more about that whole uh you know the, the being conditioned as machines or animals versus as human beings like what is that difference? Is that due to lack of biblical worldview in, in those government schools that they don't really see people as made in the image of God? And, you know, what, where does that come from that, that, that divide from obviously a biblical, uh, model? Yeah, I think so. Um, I'll, I'll start and you can certainly fill in here, but, um, if you have as a, your basic assumption that people are created in the image of God, and you compare that with the other um, narrative that says um, men and women are simply animals or machines, the evolutionary model. You put those two side by side, you get two results. You get one group that, uh, you know, as God said, come reason with me. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he wants to have those kinds of conversations. He wants us to be discerning in that which is true from that which is false. And we know that because he's told us what's true and what's false. Um, yeah. But the- model um, is a totally different model it's a it's a it's really post-human model honestly and I think that's where we are honestly we're in a post-human society today Um, Mm -hmm. and so the underlying essence is exactly what you said it goes back to what do you believe about the nature of man Mm -hmm. and what do you believe about the nature of God and then finally what do you believe about the whole nature of truth those three things I think are the, the critical ingredients and we know that truth God and the true view of man have all been removed from the government schools. Mm-hmm. And so we're seeing what you would expect. Mm-hmm. And, 
and and that's why I I was so drawn to Francis Schaeffer because he was writing things and, and saying things in the fifth 1960s and 70s, you know, and people would say, well, he was just speculating, but not true at all. He understood the assumptions and and he he could draw if you believe this then you have to believe this, which leads you to this, which leads you to this final conclusion. And, yes. and he was showing that when you embrace a, a secular, atheistic, evolutionary viewpoint of life, you're going to get certain, um, uh, certain what? Certain results. Yeah. Right. Outcomes. Right. Those, yeah, gonna, go ahead, Shirley, and then I'll follow up on that. Um, gosh, I had a thought, and I, I guess it's this. Um, children are born as an individual person each of us born a completely different person from anyone else and I think the fact that today the society is pushing us and forcing us into a mold so that we're all exactly alike and not given not given even the opportunity to develop into the person that God intends us to be. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that relates or makes sense, but it was just a thought that came through. My no, mind. it's yeah, I think you're right. And, you know, it reminds me of Romans chapter 12, verse two, don't be molded. Don't be conformed mm -hmm. to this world, but be rather transformed by the renewing of our mind. And that is so, so important, which really gets you back to the worldviews. Hey, can I share a, a funny story? It kind of, of related yeah. to what you said a little while ago, but uh, at one point I had a little uh, part-time school where I was teaching science and math. And so I was teaching, um, I don't know, maybe six, six year olds to 12 year olds. And we were studying uh, the effect of uh, on a pendulum, how you could change the swing of a pendulum. And so I had the students um, um, in their mind uh, predict what the effect would be by changing the weight or changing how high it's raised and, and several other factors. And so they all made their prediction in their mind as to what would happen. Then I gave them a string and some weights and they created a pendulum and then they collected data. And so after the data was collected, I asked each group to put their data on the, on the board and two of the groups were exactly alike. And one was very different. And the one that was very different wasn't right, but I didn't necessarily start by saying it was wrong. I just asked them to explain why they came to that conclusion. Mm -hmm. And, and this was so, so interesting. They said, well, what we wrote on the board didn't really fit the data, but it fit with what we believed. And so mm -hmm. they were totally denying the data that should have led them to the true understanding of how a pendulum works. And I think that's what we're seeing in today's society. We're seeing people that that look at the data and, and they go, Oh, we're pushing that data to the side and we're going with what we believe, mm -hmm. you know, and whether it's current issues or whether it's the evolution creation uh, debate, again, the evolution creation debate, the data is available to everyone to look at. Mm -hmm. And so the question is, are you going to go with what you believe? Or are you going to go really with what the data shows? Wow. And right. are you willing there? You mentioned a while ago, the cognitive dissonance, when that occurs, when that cognitive dissonance occurs, what's supposed to happen is to be a realignment and correction mm -hmm. of your thinking. Mm -hmm. That's what's supposed to take place educationally. But what we're seeing today is they're totally throwing out 
the, the data or they're not allowing people to hear the data uh, correctly. Mm -hmm. And so it allows them to be, as Shirley said, conformed into one thinking. You know, it's what right. Plato said, we're, we're, we're the property of the state. And, and we know as believers that we're owned by God. Again, back to the, what's the basic assumption of who we are, uh, our, our basic human nature. Right. Yeah, man. So many good things and nuggets there that you shared. Um, I think what, what came to mind for me was that this is where you often hear, you know, you were describing that their beliefs didn't fit the data, but they chose to go with their beliefs. And, you know, one response we could say is, well, that's because, you know, we all ultimately as being made in the image of God and being designed to, you know, have that God shaped hole and really only to only to be made complete by finding our identity in who God says we are and living how he says we should to bring him glory. Uh, we are all ultimately worshipers and you can't get outside of the fact you cannot break outside of the, the box in a sense that God has put you in, in the sense that he has designed you for this purpose to um, find your identity in him to be, um, you know, with him ultimately. And sin is what has destroyed that. Now he's made the way through Christ we cannot, we cannot redefine ourselves as something other than what God has defined us as. Like, of course we are all unique, but he just, he says who we are. He, he has shown you, oh man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justice, love mercy and walk humbly with him. And he is, so he has, he has given us our context and our entire understanding of ourselves. And so we are worshipers. We are in a sense, everyone is religious, you know, even if someone's a, they're an atheist, you know, well, that's a religion. It's a belief, it's a belief level um, or religion level belief, I should say. And, and so you can't break outside of that, but at the same time, like, just because that's true, doesn't mean that we abandon reason. It doesn't mean that reason, you know, that what we see in nature contradicts our beliefs or necessarily has to, because we're Christians, we don't believe in God, uh, against what we see in, in nature and against everything that we observe, our belief in God gives context to those things and, and actually gives us a meaning and a purpose and a reason and a why and explains what we see, explains the brokenness of the world and sin, explains, uh, you know, why the sun comes up every morning and why nature is sustained, even in spite of the fact that the entire universe could just somehow suck us into a black hole at any moment and we could all dis disappear. Why does that not happen? Or why do I keep waking up? Or why does my heart keep beating? Like, we have a reason to understand all of that inside of scripture. Um, and so often I think what we hear that people don't have a response for is that, well, your religion, you just have to deny reality in order to believe in God. You, you're just making this up because it, it helps you sleep at night. It makes, it makes you feel better. It gives you these warm, fuzzy feelings and, you know, religions for you, but I'd rather live in the real world where, you know, apparently that somehow makes more sense to those people. And I, I know you would agree, but like, I don't have enough faith not to believe in God. And I know that's not my quote, that's someone else's quote, but I do not have enough faith not to believe in God because without him and without scripture, nothing makes sense. It's meaningless. It's senseless. Um, so could you speak to that divide? Just the, 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 I guess what our, uh, what our culture often says that, about, you know, Christianity and religion and how that contradicts reason. And, and, you know, even now we hear so often, trust the science, trust the science as though trusting God is, is anti-science, you know, that whole debate, the debate between religion and science, perhaps, could you speak to that? Uh, I'll, I'll move it to art first, the music. 
Okay. Um, because uh, it's easier to see or hear than reading a philosopher's book or reading uh, a scientific uh, treatise. And that is, you see uh, in 20th century and 21st century art, artists trying to create their own world. And so you take a, 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 a Picasso, the three musicians. And so if you were peeking over Picasso's shoulder as he painted those three musicians, you wouldn't see anything like what he painted. Mm. He, was, he was creating his own world, a world that was fragmented, that was broken. Um, and then you move to Jackson Pollock that believed that that life was uh, the result of time, chance, and natural processes. And so he just splattered paint on the canvas, thinking that that would create the highest form of art. Or you take uh, John Cage and music and, and random music and one time basically had the score uh, on a, uh, an aquarium and he followed the fish and that became um, his musical score. And, and now I'll bring it more down to what actually might take place in the classroom to create this um, new reality, really, which is a false reality. Um, and that is um, a, a, a person created a, uh, a, a learning strategy, a, a classroom activity for gifted and talented students and said, you too can create a co musical composition as good as Mozart. And when I saw it, I thought, well, this is going to be interesting to see how this goes down. And basically, uh, the person, the child was given a pair of dice, and they rolled the dice. And if they got a two, then it was a C. If they got a five, it was whatever. And so you get a randomness, and you go, that is such a lie. That is not the way Mozart composed anything. Mm -hmm. You know, even as a child, he didn't compose that way. You know, he, he believed that there was order and structure, um, and, and, and that his Music would be the reflection of of that, um, and so it's uh, it's um, very easy to see or hear the difference in the two views. The one view that that believes that that God created a world of order and structure uh, and purpose and meaning, and the other world that looks at life as total chance. Mm -hmm. uh, again, we we you know we could. Uh, we could read um, Hume or Nietzsche or, or some of those people, and they're saying that, but it's difficult to actually understand what they're saying. But mm -hmm. it's so simple to see it in music and art. Yeah. Uh, but, it, but it's true. There's, there's no final conflict between the Bible and science. You know, it's only the conflict because of what the starting point or the assumption that you begin with. It, is, it, is, it, is there a God that created the universe? Or is life simply the result of time, chance, and natural processes? Mm -hmm. And, and you know, in the end, both are a by faith statement. Uh, that's why you said earlier that even atheists are religious. They are. Um, the data, the data really more closely aligns with the fact that God created the world. If, you're, if you haven't bought into the atheistic evolutionary position to such a degree that you're not willing to look at the data in another way. And, and the, the great loss, I think, again, in the American culture uh, through the schools that the schools deny the opportunity for students to hear the other side of the explanation. And mm -hmm. um, again, when I first went back to school, because I was had a degree in geology, uh, my, I, I felt like that if I was gonna write curriculum, 
I needed to know what a teacher did. So I became a teacher for, for, for five years. Wow. And, and so uh, I was, I took the opportunity. I wasn't given the opportunity. I was told to teach evolution, but I taught creation alongside evolution. So students had debates mm-hmm. and student had to take the creation side, debate against an evolutionist, and then they had to switch. And the, the, the creation student had to take the evolutionary position. So they knew both sides. Mm-hmm. And it's really been my belief all along. And I think it's reflected through the curriculum that we write, that we believe that because the word of God is true, it's absolute, it's, uh, it's not subjective. Like you said, it's objective. Um, it's universal that we don't have to, uh, try to, um, I don't know what the right word is. We don't have to um, defend it in a way of, we think it has weaknesses. There's no weaknesses. Mm -hmm. The weaknesses would be in how we understand it or how we understand the culture in which we live. And we want to give students the firm understanding um, that they can trust God's word. Yeah. Every subject. And, and I think that's, again, the, one of the weaknesses in education and, um, and that is if this were a pie, we think of Christianity as a small slice of that pie, but truly Christianity encompassed the whole circle. And mm. once you integrate curriculum around ideas and particularly the ideas that, well, here's what the Bible says. And here's what this person says, do they align? If there's an alignment, then we're going to accept it. You know, yeah. it's like if, with Marx right now, Marxism. Well, mm-hmm. do we disagree with Marxism because it's not American if, if that's the reason why we disagree with Marxism, you know, we have a shallow answer. Yeah. But if we disagree with Marxism because this is what the Bible says and this is what Marx says, then we have a basis for saying, no, we're denying that, that economic, sociological, political ideology. Mm-hmm. And, and which brings us back to we're not just teaching students to know what they believe, but teaching them to know why they believe what they believe. Yes. And, and yes. then they own that for themselves. And right. now they're able to give a rational defense for the hope that they have within them. That's our hope and our, that's our passion, really. Well, you've done it. <laughs> you've done it. I want to tell you about our next sponsor, and that is Brave and Courageous Co. These are the best smelling and safe candles that you have ever smelled. They are made from coconut wax, so they are clean burning and they're hand poured. These are thoughtfully sourced premium fragrance oils, and each scent is paired with a specific scripture to help aid in memorizing God's word. You can shop their website at braveandcourageous.com and join them on Instagram at braveandcourageouscompany. The founder, Kelly, is giving Kindled listeners 20% off their first order with the code KINDLED. These are the perfect gift with Christmas coming up and gift exchanges and teacher appreciation type gifts, all of those things you can get checked off your list by placing an order at braveandcourageous.com and save 20% off that first order with the code kindled shop at braveandcourageous.com. Yes. Oh my goodness. There's just so many good things that you said there. Um, let me go back to what was I thinking as you're speaking? Um, Yes. So when you were, when you were talking about the students having a debate and having to represent both sides, I think that is something getting into, you know, the specifics of your curriculum, something that, uh, the worldviews course taught me how to do and gave me exposure to, and made me very confident in was engaging with ideas other than the ones I believed in, which, why is that so foreign to us as Christians? Shouldn't that be 
like, shouldn't that be for at the forefront of, of our Sunday school lessons instead of, you know, I think, I think that's kind of, I was talking with my husband about, you know, our girls, even the church we're in today and what they're learning in their Sunday school class every week and how my daughter just made the connection this last Sunday that the, that, um, Abraham and Isaac going up the mountain to, uh, you know, Abraham going to sacrifice Isaac was a foreshadowing of Christ and how, you know, Isaac was going to become a sacrifice and, and there was wood being carried up for the sacrifice. And yet there, God provided the lamb. And, and that was just sort of this, this type of Christ that foreshadowed the ultimate sacrifice that would be made for sins. And, and, um, I remember, you know, saying to him, like, she is seven and she is getting to make that kind of a theological connection in Sunday school. I was coloring sheets that said, God is love. Like that's what I was doing. And so I didn't learn that until probably two or three years ago when I started actually attending a church that was rich in theology and teaching me how to study God's word and understand that the Bible is one, you know, big story that everything points to Christ and this, the grand meta narrative of scripture. I mean, I didn't, some of those connections. and And so that got me thinking like, man, there was so many things that are you know, being revealed to me now that were really a deficit in my, um, Christian training and in church and at at that level, just the way that we were taught the things we were taught, what our parents probably, it's not their fault. You know, they were doing the best they could with what they had and, um, and probably themselves didn't even know better, but I, I guess it's just revealed to me how, um, anemic, a lot of the education, even within Christian circles, within churches has been so that, kids are coming to the university setting, like we were saying earlier, without ever having engaged with a a challenge to their faith, without ever having been exposed to the fact that someone could be an atheist and someone could not believe in God. And someone is a whatever else, you know, there's all these different worldviews and ways of looking at and explaining the problem of suffering, the problem of evil, um, who is God, who is man, all the, the seven questions that your curriculum walks us through, which you can tell us in one second, but having been exposed to those things, when I was faced with a university setting where I was the only one in the room who had a view that truth was absolute and that God's word was, was, was absolutely true and authoritative and sufficient and complete. I was unmoved by their arguments because I had already I had already thought through this. I already knew. I was like, when I saw the train coming, I was like, oh, I know where you're going with this. It was like, I had an edge on them because I actually, I had already walked through all of those questions in my mind as a 13, 14, 15, 16, 17 year old. And so when I was an 18 year old sitting alone without my parents, without my professor being challenged, I was like, this is nothing. This is a piece of cake. I know exactly where you're coming from. I know the worldview you're coming from. I can spot it from a mile away and I am unmoved. And in so many students, that's where the pieces of their pie start to deconstruct. The pieces of their puzzle start to come down or their painting starts to get, you know, water squirted on. It starts to, everything starts to bleed together. And now they're, they're like, I don't see clearly. I don't know what is truth. Does the Bible answer these really you know, really hard questions of, well, how could a good God allow suffering? I've never thought about that before, you know? And it just, it gets me so riled up because it's like, what are we doing that we are not helping our kids realize that 
there is more, you know, there are other ways to think about those questions and people are thinking about them other ways. And you need to have a response. You need to have a reason for the hope that's in you. Um, and that the Bible provides sufficient responses to that, you know? So, I mean, yeah. What, what do you say to all of that? <laughs> that's all true. That's I could go and go, but you know, this is, this is your interview. <laughs> <laughs> Any thoughts on that? Uh, just the way that, you know, we're, we're perhaps really not giving our kids um, or, you know, that that has been maybe a trend in Christian circles. And, and unfortunately, even in churches that we really have not equipped kids with what they needed. Well, doesn't it really go back historically a long, long, <laughs> many centuries to where Christians, you know, led a monastery life because I mean, they, they didn't want to be touched by the world and they were afraid to be touched by the world. Mm, mm-hmm. And that continued and has continued throughout history that Christians, if you will, try to protect the word of God and, and protect it from any outside influence. And I, I think, I know for me, when David, for, I was not brought up at all the way he was. I was not brought up to reason, to think. Mm. And so for me, his thinking at first was very frightening Mm -hmm. um, because he would challenge everything. Mm -hmm. And I was like, why do you challenge everything? I was taught just accept it and believe it. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, I would question everything. Right. That's not a good thing as a student in elementary school. Right. Questioning what the teacher says because, you know, you become, well, what's your problem? Mm -hmm. But But it wasn't, it wasn't mean. I wasn't being a mean challenger. I don't think mm-hmm. I just was wanting to know why you think that way. Right. Yeah. You know, uh, also I think what I think Nancy Piercy said, uh, it might've been Chuck Colson. I'm not sure which of the two, but said um, students that aren't well equipped with knowing why they believe what they believe when they go to college and the professor, I mean, professors, I mean, they're brilliant. I mean, mm-hmm. that's, they're wrong, but they're mm-hmm. brilliant and they know their argument. And, and I think she, she or he said this way, the student would say something like this. If mom or dad had only known this explanation, mm-hmm. they would have accepted it over the biblical explanation. Right. And uh, that's why it's so important. Like you said, we're, we're going to confront these issues, right? Mm-hmm. And we, we want to know what Darwin said. Right. You know, we, we want to know what Mark said mm-hmm. uh, and um, or even not quite such a controversy. We, we want to know why Madison believed that a Bill of Rights was wrong and why Patrick Henry thought a Bill of Rights was right. Mm-hmm. What yeah. was that argument? You know, mm-hmm. and which of those two, we know which one out. But what was what was the thinking that was going on? What was the dialogue that was going on? Yeah. You know? And so how do we how do we help instill that? Um, mm-hmm. And to, really, we're trying to be intellectually honest. Yes. With, um, the, the Constitution, you know, it just didn't come out of anywhere. It came out of lots of arguments and discussion. Right. And, right. and people didn't necessarily agree. But the good news, the good news of the American Revolution and the Constitution versus the French Revolution is that we didn't slaughter tens of thousands of people after the arrangement was made of what the constitution would look like. Mm-hmm. Why? Because the American revolution wasn't talking about a cultural revolution. 
it was talking about changing who's the authority of the government. Whereas the French Revolution, it was a cultural revolution. And they were trying to push off Christianity, honestly. They were going to restart the calendar. Well, why would they restart the calendar at one during the French Revolution? Because they were pushing Christ, who is the divide of the calendar, out from outside of the culture. And that culture war that they experienced ended in reign of terror. Mm-hmm. And that frightens me about what's going on today because we're talking about a culture war, honestly. Yeah. It's not a it's not just a political changing of the guard. We're talking about as we've seen in the last year and a half, the a sense of, of people trying to crush the culture. Mm-hmm. And they're trying to crush the culture because really, because the Western civilization rests upon the Judeo-Christian view of the world. Right. And right. so ultimately they're saying we want nothing to do with Christianity uh, in our culture any longer. It's a cultural revolution. And the only, well, not the only, the primary weapon that we have, I think, number one is prayer. Number two is teaching our children why they believe what they believe. So they'll be able to stand firm. Mm -hmm. You know, Paul in Galatians, he was talking about a warfare, you know, and putting on the full armor of Christ. And, And that being necessary to withstand the, evil pressures of the society today. And that's why uh, the heart of what we've tried to create is a heart of discipleship that teaches children to reason from the biblical worldview, uh, that we understand not only what we believe, but why we believe the things that we believe. And uh, so that when um, students or adults um, are asked, well, why do you believe this? Or why don't you believe this? We're able to to give a, a thoughtful uh, explanation, mm-hmm. um, it, it might not convince them. But, you know, that's not our role, honestly. Mm-hmm. Our role is, is simply to give an explanation for why we believe it. Yeah. And it's God's responsibility to change their heart. He wants to use us, you know, as a spokesperson for him to speak through. As, as it says in, I uh, think it's 2 Corinthians, that we're a letter of Christ to the culture. Mm-hmm. And, and so people are reading us, they're hearing us, mm-hmm. uh, they're seeing what we do, they're seeing how we behave, or how we respond. And so that should be the reflection of Christ, just as the moon is the reflection of the sun. Yeah. yeah. Unfortunately, the moon's a poor reflection, right? Right. Because we don't always see it. Right. And unfortunately, because we're fallen humans and we have a sinful nature, we oftentimes aren't a pure reflection either. But, but ultimately, we want to point people to Jesus. Mm-hmm. and the word of God, because that's the true source of truth. The last sponsor I want to share with you today is Alongside Them. If you are looking for a resource to help you train your children up in the Lord, teach them the fundamental truths and doctrines of scripture, uh, I would strongly recommend you check out the basics catechism and the commandment catechism from Alongside Them. These catechisms are written with simple and short answers that are easy for your little ones to repeat and remember. A scripture reference is included on each page to dig deeper into God's word together. Multiple ages can learn together from toddler to parents. This can easily be integrated into your Bible time, family worship, or morning basket. Visit their shop at etsy.com slash shop slash alongside them and follow them on Instagram at alongside them. Use the coupon Kindled 5 for $5 off your order over 1650. 
shop at etsy.com slash shop slash alongside them. Right. Yes, man. So many good things. Yeah. And, and as you were talking about, even those subtle differences about, you know, the, the constitution, the bill of rights, I mean, in the curriculum, we read the federalist papers, many other titles that, you know, really got us acquainted and familiarized with the argument itself. And, and those subtle differences of, um, you know, a, a view that these brilliant, intelligent men were really battling out, like which way should our government operate in? And uh, they, it indicates that they had an understanding of the nature of man. They had an understanding of the problem of evil and they, they recognized that a need for checks and balances. And so we as students got to really witness that first, firsthand and go, oh, there's a reason our government is this way. It makes sense. Oh my goodness. It's actually based beyond God's word, even if not all of them were Christians, which I didn't grow up thinking that because or this curriculum didn't teach me that everyone who founded America was, was a Christian. No, I was actually, I remember reading, you know, Thomas Jefferson was, um, a deist, right. And, and, and I understood, okay, that means like, he believes there's this God that sets everything into motion, but then steps away and lets it operate. And so that, that clock maker or whatever is that watchmaker is, am I saying it right? <laughs> You, you know better than me. Um, but, uh, but I, I was, I was really confronted with the, the arguments themselves instead of just here's a system of government. Um, I, I had to engage with the why for the sister of system of government. And so I actually, like you said, it wasn't just what we have, whereas in a traditional classroom, you might learn, we have a democratic Republic and here's how it works. And, you know, your poli sci class, you understand here's how elections take place and every four and every two and blah, blah, blah. It was more of, um, while there was some of that, it was more critically about the, why do we do this? Why was it this way? Why did they have this debate? Why did we land on this? And, uh, and that was just, so important for me to actually for myself become convinced that this was actually the best system of government. And so when someone comes up and says, we need to tear it all down, we need to burn down the patriarchy, we need to start over. This is, you know, systemically racist, everything is systemically broken. I'm like, uh, hold on. No, no, no. I'm I'm not convinced of any of that because actually I've already, I've already thought through all of the things that you are now just for the first time calling into question. And again, I have come to a conclusion on that based on, first of all, God's word, but also applying that to policies and systems and structures. And while I recognize, and of course we can have the conversation of how we are not perfect. Our government's not perfect. There's definitely room for improvement. There's room for more checks and balances. Certainly perhaps that's necessary in certain uh, systems or, or, you know, pieces of that puzzle. What I know to be true is that, you know, that this is actually based on a really solid understanding of the nature of man and that it's not, it's not systemically racist. It's just that there are sinful people inside of it. And so, yes, we, you know, I can divide that conversation in my own brain and go, you know, I, I'm not sold at all by any of these arguments. And I see a lot of inconsistencies in them. And I'm not just like, um, completely threatened my entire religion and worldview and, and idea of myself and my nation and my family and my history and my skin color is not suddenly being called into question because someone says, burn down the patriarchy, you know? And, and so it really is so relevant to today. I mentioned something. Uh, oh, go ahead. 
Well, you know, one of the things how we started the conversation was what was wrong with the government schools? Mm-hmm. That was one of the first questions you said. Yeah. Uh, what you just said explains it. And I, let, me, let me try to illustrate it my way. Okay, we were taught the mechanics of how the government runs. Yeah. Okay, but we weren't taught why and where did it come from? Mm-hmm. We, didn't, we weren't taught the foundation of it. Right. And, so, and so you talked about checks and balances. Well, when you remove this, that is the foundation. Well, that's gridlock. Checks and balances become gridlock. And you go, no, no. If you go back to the foundation that believed that, that man was, mm-hmm. was and is sinful, and therefore you should separate the powers of government, then it's a good thing. But if you remove that reason, mm-hmm. then the conflict becomes a gridlock and the government can't do what it wants to do. And right. so by, by removing the basic assumptions, the schools did, because they removed God, they removed mm-hmm. the Bible, removed truth. They had no reason to believe in checks and balances, really. Right. And so now it's like when this takes place, then, oh, whoever's in, well, whoever the, really the media agrees with whoever's in charge, um, they want with the opposing group, if the opposing group uh, is the group that is uh, trying to uh, instill a biblical view of the nature of man and so forth, um, Mm. then they're trying to deny that person or that group of people uh, a a right to say anything. Mm -hmm. And so they censor that that group. Right. And and the end result is... um, get the government changes drastically. Right. And, or you know, we, we pack the Supreme court and that's a good thing. Cause now we can get our agenda done faster be, because we've lost the assumption, the, the, the reason for the limit of that branch of government that it should not overpower the other two for the reason you're saying, because we are, we are, uh, we tend towards tyranny. We tend towards usurping power that isn't ours or money that isn't ours, or property that isn't ours, and we need something to hold us back. But now we see there are a lot of people who don't have that assumption, like you were describing. Um, they have no reason not to pack the Supreme Court, and they can't understand why we would say that's not a good thing. Right, right. And, and um, you know, the founding fathers, though um, oh, yeah, you said earlier, they weren't all believers, though so most of them would have accepted what the Bible said to be true, not necessarily mm-hmm. about Jesus and God, right. but about how life is to be lived. And uh, one, I don't know, you'll have to ask Ben, he knows, uh, but, uh, you know, he said, basically, you can't have the kind of government we're trying to form mm-hmm. if you aren't governed by God. And that's what we're seeing. We're seeing the result of what that man said mm-hmm. over 200 years ago coming true, because we are not self-governed by the, mm-hmm. by the law of God in our hearts, or when... Um, um, uh, oh, that was James who, Madison. Who's that? Who was that? Dr. James Dr. Madison. He said to suppose oh. I actually had this quote from an, an interview yesterday to suppose that any form of government will secure liberty or happiness without any virtue in the people is a chimerical idea. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. And who wrote the dark democracy in America? De Tocqueville. Oh yeah. De Tocqueville. He would go through all America and go, where, where are the police? Mm-hmm. Where, where's the evidence of the government? Why, why are these people, why are these people so law abiding, you know, and what makes America so great? And he said, it's not the natural resources and it's not a whole list of things, but he said, basically it's, it's because what was taught in the churches, mm-hmm. you know, and that people were responding to God. And be, if God's your ruler, 
You know, if God's your ruler, your your life is constrained. You know, it's an internal constraint. Mm. Uh, and of course, it comes through the word of God as well. But you don't have to use an external restraint as much. But without the restraint of, of people being in alignment with God, then you're going to have to use a lot of constraint. That is, the government's going to have to force you to do things that you might not want to do. And that's where we see ourselves again. Again, yeah. our basic assumptions are so important. And we're not talking about flannel graph Christianity. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's flannel graph Christianity. It's just two-dimensional. We're talking about teaching students to see the, the true life of, of Christianity through all the subjects. Mm. You know, whether it's literature or music or art or science or government or, or, or philosophy. Uh, yeah. What, what does God have to say about these subjects? And we want to have God to renew our minds, that is, to realign us so we're not like this, but we're more like that, that our thoughts, our, our behaviors are coming in alignment with, uh, with the spirit and the word of God. Right, 100%. Um, I, mentioned, I mentioned the seven questions. Can you, do you know those off the top of your head? I'm guessing you do. Can we get those seven questions? <laughs> I'll, I'll get some of them. Um, um, yeah. The, yeah. So, so explain, explain for people what the seven questions are. Cause I've mentioned yeah. them and, and yeah. you have it's, a better grip. There's seven worldview questions. And in the seven worldview questions, we we ask every person in, a, in, as we study in junior high and high school, we ask them. Oh no, before that. Well, yes, but we're <laughs> actually earlier too, but um, specifically in junior high and high school, but in all the subjects we say, what, what do you believe about God? That's the number one question. And the number two question is, what do you believe about man? And so in junior high, we asked Mary Shelley, what do you believe about man? What's the nature? What's the very essence of man? Mm-hmm. And then we asked Robert Louis Stevenson, what's your view of man? What, mm-hmm. How do you see the heart of man? And, um, and we've, we've studied the, the word of God, so we know what God says about the heart of man. And so one says, one of the authors says, man's heart is good. It's kind. It's gentle, compassionate, tenderhearted. And you go, wait a second. Why, why did that person do that wrong thing? And, you know, this is, if you will, reading between the lines because she's not quite so. Right. I mean, the narrative. You know, I mean, it's a, I mean, it's, it's a story. And, but she embraces these ideas. And if you carefully read it, you'll, you'll see this. And she says, the reason why this person did this bad thing, stole something, because he's poor. And if the rich people over there would just give to the poor, there would be no stealing. That's, that's a view. That's, that was Mary Shelley's view. And then Robert Louis Stevenson, on the other hand said, no, the problem isn't outside of me. The problem is inside of me. I have this natural tendency that wants to do things wrong. I don't want to do it, but I just, I gravitate towards that. And so in here we have two opposing views. And so the question is, um, they both can't be true. I, I don't understand that philosophy that says they both can be true. Though some people do understand that. I, I can't understand that. They're, they're opposing ideas. They both can't be true, but they both could be wrong. Or mm-hmm. one of them could be right. And so we ask the students to, to take what they've learned about the nature of man from God in his word and to evaluate and to be able to decide, oh, this view is against the word of God. And this word, this man's view, Robert Louis Stevenson's view is in alignment with the word of God. I'm not saying that he was a believer or any of that part at that, at this point, I'm just asking, does his view of the world, does it align with the word of God? 
And, and we want to help students to do that because the nature of God, the nature of man, and then finally the nature of the universe, those are the three most important questions mm. that we should be able to answer, right? Mm-hmm. And, and students should be able to give an explanation for yeah. why we believe the things that we believe in those three areas. So those are three. You want to name any more? Mm-hmm. What happens to man at death? Does a life and history have any meaning and purpose? And why is there evil and suffering in the world? There must be one. <laughs> must be, but I forgot <laughs> what it was. Is that's there... okay. <laughs> yeah, no, that's, or is it, what is the basis of morality and ethics? There you, there you go. go. There you got it. Yes. Do I get, do I get like a A plus for that or something? <laughs> that is, that is truly impressive. I am 33 years old and I'm I took impressed. that course about half a lifetime ago. <laughs> yeah. And, half your lifetime ago. And, half and, my lifetime. And the last, the last question though, it wasn't listed last in the list that Shirley gave, but does life in history, does my life have any real meaning? Mm. Boy, that's a question that was asked over and over again in the sixties and seventies. It's still asked today. Mm-hmm. Does my personal life have any real meaning? I'm going to say this. If you believe the evolutionary view of life, the answer is it does not. Yeah. We, we, have the, we have the only answer to that question. And the dignity of life, whether it's born or unborn, the dignity of life rests on the fact that we believe from the word of God, the assumption of the word of God being true is that we're born with a purpose that we're conceived mm-hmm. with a purpose and that has been stripped from our society. Yeah. And so if you lose the dignity of man, then anything goes. I mean, there's no right or wrong, right? How can you decide who decides the ruling power, the person with the, with the, with the largest weapon, mm-hmm. you know, um, I love it. Francis Schaeffer said one person and the word of God is a majority. Wow. You know, because he has a standard on which to base yeah. decisions. And so though every person in the world might disagree with you, if you're in alignment with the word of God, mm-hmm. you know, then you know, you're right. And, and you yeah. don't have to be offensive about it, you know, mm-hmm. and you're not arguing, you know, with me, you know, mm-hmm. my goal is just to tell you what, what the word of God says. I mean, would you put water, would you put water in your gasoline engine? Why not? I mean, who's to say you can't put water in a gasoline engine? Oh, mm-hmm. the, the manufacturer, he said it. Mm-hmm. You want to yeah. be a fool and try it? You know, try it and see what happens. No, don't try it. Right. And that's what God is saying. He gives us his word. Now, the, the restrictions, if you will, they're, they're warnings. Mm-hmm. Don't you want to live a good life? Don't you want to live an abundant life? Don't you want to have a happy and joyful life? Mm-hmm. Then this is the way it's done. Mm-hmm. No, not mechanically. That's the fifties. I think fifties and sixties Christian people tried to live the Christian life without Christ. Mm-hmm. That doesn't work for long, but, right. but it's the, it's the basis that upon which the word of God and the Holy spirit within a person, the presence of Christ within us, then gives us the ability to live a joyful and purposeful life. Yeah. And, and while it's, it's what the world needs, but the world has continued to reject it. Yeah. over and over and over again and yeah. we we've, we see continually um the downfall of a culture you know you, you remember um looking at the the five paintings by thomas cole i don't know if you remember that or not but it's mm. the five paintings go from the very beginning of a civilization it's really he calls it the mm. savage state probably couldn't say that today. i do remember that now and, yeah and, and then it goes to the the next state of which is uh 
the pastoral state where the, the dominion is being taken, the cultivation of the land is taking place. And, and then it moves to the, um, the, the, um, you know, the right word for that word. Uh, it's the, it's, it's like looking at Rome. Every, mm. It's like a full government, um, order and structure, but there's a small section in that painting where two little boys are arguing and that leads to the next stage, the next painting. And that's where there's an all out war that's taking mm. place. There's civil disobedience. There's the overthrow of the culture. And then the final picture is a picture of what's called desolation. And it goes back to where it's everything is destroyed. And he, he painted those as a warning to uh, Americans that that could happen to our culture. He said, it's happened to every culture that's ever existed. And they all go through these five stages. And it's a warning to us that um, we too could fall in that same direction if we leave the, as the, the presence of God. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, it's, uh, it's a, those are stunning images. If you're ever in New York at the New York Historic Society, you can see those paintings and they're, they're amazing. And it was, it, it, it was him taking what about the word of God and the absolute uh, expression of the word of God in and through a culture. And he, he allowed God to, to uh, use his creativity to create these five wonderful paintings. Mm-hmm. And that's a biblical worldview, a man taking the word of God and taking the talents that he's given and, and allowing God to work in and through him to, uh, in his case, to create a, a beautiful, a beautiful yeah. set of, of paints, paintings. Yeah. And that's amazing. And that's, that's what we want students to do. Maybe, maybe students will want to go into economics or maybe they want to go into uh, some form of science or, or whatever to say, God, I want my life to align with your word. And I want you to use me um, in the demonstration of your truth through that discipline. Mm-hmm. Or maybe they'll want to be a podcaster. <laughs> maybe so. <laughs> Just kidding. Yeah. Oh man. So funny yeah. that yes, here I am. And, and I took that course, you know, like I said, 16, 17, some years ago, and it's still so impactful you know, kind of coming to the end of our conversation, I, I think that any parent who's listening, who is a homeschooling parent is sold. They're sold. They they're like, obviously I need this curriculum. And if you're not, you need to check your hearing aid because you need it. Um, and we do have a coupon code code for, uh, for families who want to grab this curriculum or anything from your website. And that I will tell you is kindled for 5% off. Um, but I would love for you to speak for a second to the parents who perhaps don't homeschool. Maybe they have their kids in a private school or even a public school and they are just, their heart is aching because they want this for their children, but maybe they don't see how they can do the full fledged curriculum. Um, what advice or recommendations would you have for them? You want to start or you want me to? Yeah, I, I would, uh, since we're kind of a visual society, I, I would, watch together with uh our your their family of three videos uh the first being how should we then live which basically uh watches the flow of thought through history and so you can see that ideas are what shape a culture Mm -hmm. and in that set of videos uh, he's constantly describing when the judeo-christian view uh is the dominant view you get these results and then when the secular atheistic 
worldview is in control of the thought of the culture, you get these results. Uh, that would be my first uh, video. And then the second video that he also did, this is Francis Schaefer I'm referring to, uh, is whatever happened to the human race. And it goes back to the assumption of the dignity of man. And once you lose the dignity of man, basically all of culture collapses. And so it uh, points to, um, you know, can I hope I can say this correctly, but <clears throat> abortion's not the problem. It's, mm -hmm. the, it's the consequence of a problem. And the problem is that we've denied uh, the existence of the dignity of man in the, in the creation of the world. Mm -hmm. And so uh, there's a lot of little fires that, that are a result of the fact that there is no dignity of man. And abortion is one of those fires. And uh, we can try to put that one out. And there's a group of people that do and should. But we need to be implanting uh, in the next generation and this generation as well that, that, that there is a dignity that's found in the fact that we are created in the image of God. And then the last video series is by John Whitehead. It's called Grasping for the Wind. Mm -hmm. And it basically uh, leads us to um, see that the 20, 20th and 21st century um, uh, really is it's, it's a hopeless philosophy. And the idea there, I think, is if, if, that, if the ideas of the 20th century lead us to hopelessness, is there, is there a grand story? Is there a grand narrative, a meta-narrative that, that can provide hope? Mm. And those are the three places I would go. Um, are those available on the website? They are. Mm -hmm. Okay, great. Yeah. And um, yeah. Gonna... That's great. Yeah. Videos. I mean, what an easy way to provide, you know, a springboard for conversation. And that would be perfect for kids of what ages would you say? Well, I would, I would definitely hold off on the, um, whatever happened to the human race until the student is, I'd say eighth grade. Wouldn't you say? Yeah. That one's a little, it's, it's pretty, it's, it's, it's vivid. Put yeah. it that way, it's vivid, yeah. and uh, I would say some of those uh, images are kind of disturbing. Actually, mm -hmm. you might never forget them. You might be thinking mm -hmm. about some yourself right now. Mm -hmm. um, I would just add to that too. I know our lives are hectic, and I I can't even imagine how hectic they are for younger people like you all. Um, but I would encourage parents to. Um, spend time every day with their family reading the Word of God. And as you do that, um, making time for everyone who's present and who listens to ask a question of what they've just read. And then, you know, don't just let those questions roll off your back and don't answer them, but try to help your child that asked the question particularly find the answer to their questions. Mm -hmm. So they learn through that that the Word of God, um, well, first of all, it's a delight to read and it will help your whole family understand it better as you read it together. And then as you allow the opportunity for them to ask questions about it, that shows them that you, you can question the word and you should question. You should think about it deeply and seriously and, and, um, and then let it answer its own question if possible. In other words, find the answer to the question within the word. Um, and then if, if that's not possible, then you do more research and see if you can find the answer to the question. Um, again, how, all helping to prove how true and faithful God's word is. Mm 
And, and it, it just, also shows how committed you are mm-hmm. as a, a parent to searching the word of God for the answers that um, society is asking. Mm-hmm. So or, it's, or that the child is asking. Yeah, or the child is asking. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's so good, man. That's so encouraging for for those parents who, um, you know, might feel, feel like they are behind or have missed some critical years that ultimately God's word is sufficient and your resources are so, so helpful. Um, but we do, we can rely on God to actually be the one that saves. We know that he is, we know that, um, no course or class or material or book is, is obviously enough to save someone's soul. And that is, that is everyone, every Christian parents hope for their children is that they come to know, you know, Christ and him crucified and, and that the God that we serve, his arm is not too short and not, not, uh, you know, um, insufficient in power to save. Um, but for those parents who, uh, you know, still have a number of years with their kids in the home and have time and have the, the benefit of, you know, the day is young in a sense, like me, um, I, I just cannot encourage you enough to instill in your kids these, um, you know, just the time and the value that they will get from entertaining and, and considering these ideas for themselves, um, asking hard questions of the Bible, but of other worldviews as well, and, and seeing the answers that those worldviews provide firsthand is perhaps the best deterrent to them walking away from the faith. Because when you read, you know, Mary Shelley, or when you read Robert Louis Stevenson, or you read any other, you know, um, author that you may encounter in that curriculum, and you, you see how they answered the toughest questions, those seven questions, of the worldview of who is God, who is man? Why are we here? What's how do we deal with the problem of evil and suffering? And when you have to enter, you really have to ask those questions and then answer them for yourself from that author's point of view you come to see very quickly that the Bible provides the best answer to every single one of those questions that is consistent with reality. It's consistent with what we see in the world. Um, it's consistent with itself and that, you know, it's like, it it just allows you to have such a confidence in God's word that you, like you said, um, with Francis Schaeffer, that, a, a one man and the word of God is the majority. And that is what every single one of us needs to have today encountering the culture, because we're not the majority. We're the, we're the minority by, by in sheer quantities. Um, We see that this is a post-Christian, post-truth, post-human society, like you said. And so you better get really comfortable being one man in the word of God, being the majority, because that is all that you have. And you may not in your workplace, you know, to my seven-year-old, like, She may not have a single other person when she, you know, whatever she does, whether that is college or just finds a job after school, she may not have a a single other believer that she works with. And she needs to be confident in what she believes, regardless of whether or not it is the popular thing to think or, or know to be true. And that's what I want her to take away is that, you know, exactly what you said, that she is the majority because she has God's word. Um, and she is falling in line with that and under that authority. And she needs no other human authority to affirm for her what is true, what is good, what is beautiful, and that she's wrestled with the hardest questions already. And so really I can send her into the world and go, you know, I trust God and you are equipped. There you go. You know, and we don't have to be fearful. And so um, I just cannot, I cannot say enough about this curriculum and and hope that parents will really 
take, um, take the opportunities that they may have to grab it and, uh, and really take some and walk through it themselves too. I mean, uh, as adults, like we, some, sometimes we don't face these questions, uh, really until our parents are aging or we are encountered with suffering or evil in a way that we maybe didn't have to encounter as a child. And, and so, um, obviously there's a lot of a benefit for anyone of any age to, to encounter this curriculum and walk through it. Um, and as a reminder, that coupon code is kindled uh, at cornerstonecurriculum.com. Any final words from you guys that you want to leave people with? I guess uh, for me would be that um, instill in the hearts and souls and minds of your children that the first 11 chapters of Genesis are true historically, scientifically, and religiously. They're the foundation of the whole word of God. And those are the 11 chapters that are under the greatest uh, um, warfare. And if, it, if, it, if and when a child embraces those ideas that are the origin of, of, of the universe, the origin of man, uh, the origin of sin, the origin of nations, the origin of uh, nations, the origin of languages, if, if they have that in alignment with the word of God, then they have a solid base for living in the 21st century. So good. Shirley, anything from you? God is faithful. Yeah. He is faithful. He'll, he will he make our total insufficiency, our inadequacy, and he'll make it enough. You know, mm -hmm. if we just um, lean on him in complete and total dependence, you know, it won't be perfect. I mean, what we've, what we've done with our kids is far from perfect. And all you have to do is look at them. <laughs> and you'll find out, but he's still faithful and sufficient. Yeah. Man. So encouraging. Thank you guys so much for your time. And I, I guess I could talk to you guys all day about this. As you can tell, I, I never get tired of this topic. So thank you so much. And uh, I'm excited for people to discover Cornerstone curriculum and take advantage of some of these resources for their family. Um, and just so people know it, the website's really nicely broken down by grade, um, and by subject and uh, by all the supporting materials that you guys offer. So people can really browse um, based on their kids' ages and easily find things that would be suited well for their kid, whether they're in kindergarten or high school. So um, love how you guys have done that. Thank you, Haley. We appreciate it. All right. You guys have a great day. Thank you. Bye-bye. Guys, thank you so much for listening today. I know that was a bit of a monster episode, but I wanted to send you off with something awesome into uh, this break and into the new year. I so enjoy bringing you uh, biblically sound, thoughtful, hopefully thought-provoking and informative and educational content every single week. I look forward to continuing that in 2022. Uh, please feel free to reach out to me by email. If you have any questions, my email is Haley, H-A-L-E-Y at kindledpodcast.com. You can also find me on Instagram at Haley, H-A-L-E-Y dot kindled and kindled dot Haley. So uh, yeah, come find me over there and uh, just send me a message when you request me. I will be private over the holidays and maybe beyond. Um, yeah, I guess that's all that I have to say. So I hope you guys have a great Christmas. Merry Christmas. Um, enjoy your family. Enjoy all the time together. Enjoy the food and I will see you in January. Bye guys.